a weird kind of like psychosexual thing going on with a male body. Like his like weird, like secondhand dysphoria for Trump, like body dysphoria of like, he constantly will draw Trump as this chiseled, greased, mm-hmm. cum gutter, uh, Adonis, and just weirdly <laughs> detailed, weirdly lovely, crafted buttocks. Did you guys know that you were going to hear Trump cum gutters today? <laughs> Trump gut, cum gutters, and the Chumley Ghost. This is a hell of an episode, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Well, Jessica and Zach, from the day they were born, they started watching comedy because it was on. She was a golden girl, he had Seinfeld on the brain. They said a nine-year-old Frasier fan might just be insane. Harry and the Hendersons, Mindy and Mork. Now Jessica and Zach get together and talk. They'll never say the sitcom's glory days are gone. They'll still watch it because it was on. Because it was on. Because it was on Because it was on Because it was on Is it too early to set up a Patreon? And I'll call it Because it was on 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 Hello and welcome to Because It Was On. We are like that fancy film podcast, but for people who like to talk about that episode of Laverne and Shirley, where the girls become police decoys after someone steals Shirley's poodle skirt and Laverne's sweater. You're going to go out in the park and entice a deranged man? You're going to stand in the line of fire? Why would you want to do something crazy like that? (laughs) Fun. My name is Zach, and my boss and I are currently in a Halloween prank war for office morale. And much to my chagrin, I found a horse's head in my bed this morning. And I'm Jessica, and this week I am throwing an elaborate surprise party for my perpetually grumpy neighbor. And I think this will be just the thing to cure his PTSD from his time in Desert Storm and cheer him up once and for all. We are going to fix that boy. We are going to fix that boy. Boy. And gee, Zach, when I think about a boy who needs fixing. If there's any boy that needs fixing, it would be Zach Morris. It would from be Zach Saved Morris. by the Bell. And the only way to fix him is to banish him. You, by... I think it's an exorcism, actually. Yeah, you need to destroy required. his phylactery and send him to the nether realm where he belongs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless, Zach, he's already there already there yes so if you haven't guessed it by now folks we are talking about saved by the bell and we are already hitting on the dark truth of zach morris is the devil he presides over all the other sitcom hells that we have talked about in this series. And we're going to talk so much more about that theory as we progress along in our dear little podcast here today. But today we are doing our final episode of Halloween. And this episode was the byproduct of some light research because I said, I want to do Saved by the Bell. And I wonder if they had any Halloween episodes. And I read the synopsis for this. 
and I pitched it to Zach before I rewatched it. And it sure was 24 minutes of television. It w- Nobody can deny that those people fulfilled their contract. Like the network <laughs> asked for them to make an episode and they made it. And they made an episode. So we are talking about Mystery Weekend. It's a murder mystery. It's like Agatha Christie, if uh, Agatha Christie had a lobotomy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So this is season three, episode 26 of Saved by the Bell. It is their season finale. Oh my God. (laughs) It it aired December 21st, 1991. So... Just setting the scene there for you. Yeah, it is quite an episode that has stuff that happens in it. And before we jump into that, Zach, were you a Saved by the Bell head growing up? How did you feel about Saved by the Bell? Kind of. My sister, my older sister, was really into it. And so she would watch it. And the thing about Saved by the Bell is it has a lot of cartoony aesthetics that I sort of clung on to i remember yeah. that there is this dream sequence where i think lisa is feeling guilt about killing a lizard and so she's imagining herself in hell and her hell is being on a frying pan and something mm. about that image as a very small child was like i, I like saved by the bell <laughs> i like women in pans yeah <laughs> I, I like women uh, in pans then you just got a hustler subscription that's the graduated phase <laughs> What about you? What about you? What yeah. was your You know, Saved by the Bell, it really is like the television show embodiment of the paper cup design from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Old school Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah, Saved by the Bell is the television show. If the old school Taco Bell aesthetic became a television show, it would be Saved by the Bell. It is the classic 90s cup design with the blue background and the purple squiggle. That is Saved by the Bell. And I think you're very right in something you said about Saved by the Bell. And I think we've proposed or we've introduced this concept before. And that is the concept of a sister show. And Mm -hmm. a sister show is a show that everyone's sister watched. You didn't watch it, but your sister did. And Saved by the Bell is a sister show. It is really, it needs to be investigated how it's logistically possible for only your sister to have watched it, for just everyone. It it is a sister show. I, so I've seen a lot of Saved by the Bell. I I liked Saved by the Bell about the same amount that you did, but my sister loved Saved by the Bell and um, she was, she, she, she had fallen under the demonic the the demonic wooing of one Zach Morris. She was worshiping at that altar. Her problematic fave. (laughs) (laughs) Her problematic fave, even back then. So I've seen a lot of Saved by the Bell. I am familiar very much, very much with the concept of Saved by the Bell. It does have an iconic theme song. It does. It's got a bop of a theme song. What do we like in a sitcom theme song? We like words that explain the premise. And oh, yeah. Is just Tell me like what I'm going to watch. You're wormy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, the other thing I think of with Safe by the Bell um, is one time I was visiting 
I believe it was Six Flags in Gurney, Illinois. And you know how the, all these amusement parks, they have a theater that will do a little music, song and dance performance because the grandparents got to go to something, right? Mm-hmm. And while I was there, this had to have been, let's call it 2006. The big attraction that they were advertising was the actor who played Mr. Belding was the star <laughs> of the show at the, the Gurney Mill Six Flags in 2006. <laughs> and I think about that a lot. Where are they now? <laughs> think about that a lot. I also remember we talked before about like the very inexpensive early 2000 shows that they would make where it, it was like, I love the 80s and that sort of thing. And it was there was also like celebrities, where are they now? And mm-hmm. they loved it was basically like a 24 <laughs> seven, like CNN style, like, where is the cast of Saved by the Bell now? I was constantly updated and briefed <laughs> on what their career moves are. <laughs> Yeah, and the more embarrassing, the better. Yeah. They love those little nuggets. And then, of, I mean, of course, if you're talking about where are they now, what did they do post Saved by the Bell, how can you not mention Elizabeth Berkeley's star turn in the classic film, Showgirls? Showgirls. Beautiful. Cinema at its finest. Very much Shelley Long glow up. Uh, just doing really great cinema after her constant. Yeah, you know, if Elizabeth Berkley leaving Saved by the Bell is what had to happen for us to get Showgirls, Mm -hmm. amen, baby. Yeah. It's the correct choice every time. And, you know, sometimes I just mourn for the career Elizabeth Berkley should have had post-Showgirls. Yeah, they, you know, it, it was very much like, a Monica Lewinsky thing. We were wrong what we did to her. We were wrong. We were wrong what we did to her. I, for one, think we should have a, a Berkeley Assange. Yeah, absolutely. I want her TED Talk. I want I want her Barbie. I, I want... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She needs, you know, justice for Elizabeth Berkeley. It is time that we bring her back into the cultural oeuvre. Why not Showgirls 2? Showgirls 2. I believe there actually is a Showgirls too that takes place in universe but does not star Elizabeth Berkley. So why not Showgirls too? But it's like a it's a requel. Show we're women. rebooting it. Show women. <laughs> yeah, what is she doing now? It would still be full frontal. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a requirement. I another thing for Saved by the Bell I want to just put up front is this is a show that has always. It's just, it's profoundly creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there's a lot to talk about in this episode. Yeah. Profoundly creepy about the weird sexual energy always going on between the adults and the children of this show. Oh, yeah. There's just no age of consent in this universe. Middle-aged women are happy to just be like, I am ready to fuck this teenager. Yeah, and it's almost always middle-aged women with Zach or or Slater. Almost yeah. always. But you will occasionally get a middle-aged man way too into the girls. But yeah, age of consent is not part of the calculation of yeah. Saved by the Bell. It is very much like the worst of the worst Hollywood producers have created like a fantasy high school 
where they can live out loud all of their fantasies of this is the harvey weinstein teenagers it really is this takes place in harvey weinstein's dream universe where any adult man can just walk up into a high school and just go on a date with jesse spano yeah and there are so many plots that are like (laughs) that lisa and her they are like they want to be like backup dancers in a music video or get into the industry and they start like flirting with a middle-aged fucking man it is very much like a harvey weinstein universe yeah yeah all of the time that is exactly what is going down in saved by the bell it's just so creepy it's you know those kids in high school who tried to have a real friendship with the teacher tried Mm -hmm. to be on those terms it's if every child in the high school actually succeeded in that. Yeah, they're colleagues. They're co- There's an episode where Zach throws Mr. Belding's wife a baby shower. There's <laughs> <laughs> all co-workers here. <laughs> what is going on here? You shouldn't know the principal's wife, period. Yeah. Unless she is also a teacher at that school. You should not. No, the principal's spouse. So say by the bell, they were way too familiar. They were, there was no age of consent. There are no professional boundaries between adults and children. We are getting to know each other at this school. And this show is also a spiritual sequel to that episode of The Twilight Zone with uh, <laughs> little Timmy, who could send people into the cornfield. Please, son, wish it into the cornfield, please. He was a bad man. So I turned him into a jack-in-the-box. A jack-in-the-box that still had his bad face. It's good what you've done to Dan. It's real good. That was swell. Because um, mm-hmm. Zach Morris is little Timmy. Everybody is just at the whims of this fucking child. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're gonna get to that. I think it's yeah. going to play into our idea of what's going on in this episode. What we should um, probably do, Jessica, is explain what Saved by the Bell is. <laughs> uh, to our audience yeah, that might not be what? familiar it's all right because we're saved by the bell so what is saved by the bell so we are at bayside high we were at sunny california in the 1990s baby and we are go tigers we are at bayside high with zach morris and the gang and so the show revolves around zach we are in his twisted universe and he and his friends are up to Weekly hijinks. So we have Zach Morris, AC Slater, who's kind of like the jock guy who's, he is a, a false rival to Zach. Then we have Screech, who is our nerdy outsider, the, the group's punching bag, which we'll talk a little bit more about. And then we have our ladies. We have Jesse Spano, who's the smart girl who lives next door to Zach. We have Lisa, the rich girl, who's spoiled. And then we have Kelly Kapowski. She is the bombshell. She's your all-American apple pie and football girl. That's our gang. Yeah. It very much fits the formula of sort of the brat learns a lesson style youth shows. Sort of. Yeah, (laughs) but stretches it to the absolute limit the brat learns no lessons yeah the brat is retaining 
nothing other than oh i'm briefly i'm briefly uh confronted with a consequence so i will demure for a moment <laughs> and then we're gonna go ahead and hit that reset button yeah <laughs> that's safe Just by the bell fucking sell our my friends into sex slavery <laughs> 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 the very next episode yeah <laughs> so this episode um uh, a fun little episode like it's goofy it's silly. They're doing stuff. Yeah, it's an Agatha Christie sort of thing. And we will get into the plot. We will get into the details. But first, but Je first. Jessica and I both want to offer a profound thank you. In the first week of the launch of our Patreon, we I'm going to say that we reached $100. It's actually 95 right now. <laughs> and thank you so much for the support. That it, it, It's huge that... We've been working on this for a year now, over a year and a half, and that people are willing to support us. And it's just, we're extremely grateful. Yeah, it is heartwarming. So thank you. We really appreciate it. And, and Zach, I think it's time to get situational. It's time to get situational. As promised, if you sign up for the $5 tier, of our Patreon, and you can find the link in the show notes, then you when you sign up, you'll get a little shout out and a wacky sitcom situation of your own. Absolutely. So let's do it. Let's hit it. And if you want one too, right? If you want us to read out a little sitcom situation that you got yourself into, hit us up on Patreon. You know where to find us. We literally message each other after anybody signs up for the Patreon. And it brings so much joy. So please do that. And we'll read you a little situation. Should we get into it? Let's, Let's get situational. Get into it. Starting at the top, we have Alex L. Alex became a professional life coach, but their first client turned out to be a squirrel who wanted help organizing their nut collection. Jake F. found themselves mistakenly elected as the mayor of a small town known for its bizarre local traditions, including the annual potato sack race to the moon. Garrett M. His attempt to become a competitive eater led them to a quirky contest where participants had to consume oversized cotton candy sculptures. Chelsea! Chelsea's dream of opening a cat-themed bakery took an unexpected turn when they discovered the local cat population was secretly running the bakery. Does that make any sense? <laughs> I fucking love it. I fucking... <laughs> Chelsea, that's such a great show. <laughs> What's that one with Maya Bialik where she runs a cat cafe? She could never. She the, could The cat never. cafe that I opened is secretly being run by the cat <laughs> I would absolutely love it if my cats made me a little latte and a muffin. Tater L. Tater became the owner of a struggling food truck that served only potatoes in various bizarre forms, attracting a cult following. I also love that. You guys, you guys are killing it with these. Jessica K. Jessica was accidentally transported back in time to a renaissance fair where they were mistaken for royalty, creating hysterical, historical chaos. Andrew H. Andrew inherited a haunted mansion and decided to turn it into a ghost-friendly bed and breakfast, leading to comical interactions with mischievous spirits. Love it. Absolutely great. Emmett A. Emmett got a job as a professional thumb wrestler, but their biggest rival turned out to be a world champion thumb warrior. 
Gavin's quest to become a master of extreme sports led them to an eccentric sports academy specializing in competitive tree climbing. Cullen! Cullen was hired as a zookeeper at a wildlife park full of mischievous animals with a knack for escaping and causing chaos. His attempt to build a backyard roller coaster turned into a neighborhood sensation, attracting an array of eccentric roller coaster enthusiasts. Rhiannon! Rhiannon C. Rhiannon joined a dance group made up of senior citizens, and they found themselves rehearsing a competition to win a lifetime supply of prune juice! Sarah R. Sarah mistakenly became the captain of a synchronized swim team made up of aquatic animals, including talented dolphins and witty sea otters. Stephanie A. Stephanie decided to organize a surprise party for their pet parrot who had a knack for impersonating famous celebrities, creating unexpected guest appearances. JM got a job as a clown for a children's party, but their shy and introverted nature led to unpredictable and heartwarming interactions with the kids. Now it's wholesome. Good for you, Very JM. Very wholesome. Good for you. Amber T. Amber took on a new career as a stand-up comedian at a comedy club where the audience was composed entirely of inanimate objects, including talking mannequins. That sounds surreal. I love it. Lord Spider. Lord Spider found themselves leading an adventure club for arachnids with activities such as spider bungee jumping and web weaving contests. I sure want to be high when I watch that episode. A sitcom about spiders sounds really good. JJ. JJ became the captain of a hot air balloon team with an eccentric crew embarking on hilarious and unpredictable high-flying escapades. Samson. Samson was mistaken for a superhero and was tasked with rescuing cats stuck in the most unusual and unexpected places, including atop tall bookshelves. So That's unexpected. actually super expected. So Samson. unexpected. <laughs> James G.D. James accidentally stumbled upon a secret society of pizza-loving time travelers, and together they attempted to correct culinary calamities throughout history. I'm watching that for sure. That time that too much yeast in my brioche caused World War One. Mm. It would have all been corrected if, <laughs> if James GD were on the case. Regretful Midnight Milkshug <laughs> discovered they had the ability to communicate with animals, leading to a series of amusing and misadventures as they helped their furry and feathered friends solve quirky neighborhood mysteries. Oh, I love that they're solving mysteries. Heck, it must be sweet because that's a hell of a lineup. That's a hell of a lineup. I'm watching every single one. Now, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna tape it. I'm not even gonna record them. I'm watching them live. Yep, just that Thursday block. I'm watching all of them. <laughs> watching it all. That was so fun to do and to put together and to read off here. <laughs> that was a blast. So I cannot wait for our next subscribe subscribers so we can do this again. And you know, if you guys enjoyed it and you want something silly of your own, subscribe. And we'd love to create a sitcom situation for you. Yep. We are still working on other perks that we can throw into the pot and get a little sauce going, but please consider it. But I'm not your mom. Do what you need to. Not a cop, not your mom. All right. <laughs> All so, right. Jessica, should we get situation into it? Situation is over. We are no longer situational. We are serious again. And it is time to do a serious analysis, Zachary. A serious analysis. Hold up. I, I think Saved we, by the Bell. Hold on. 
Um, I do want to, because I don't think we said thank you at the end. So uh, thank you to all of you for contributing. It means a lot. Um, <laughs> we said thank you like seven times. Well, we said at the beginning. I don't think we said it at the end. Thank you again to all of you for contributing and trying to support this show. We really do appreciate it. It means we a do. lot. I agree. Thank you, Zachary. Zachary's a polite boy. Polite boy. <laughs> I wake right. up in a cold sweat every night being like, did I forget to thank them? <laughs> <laughs> He's a polite boy. Zachary, it is time to put our situational behavior in the past. And it is time to get serious. We are We need to get serious. We need to put on our analytical caps and we need to dive so deep into Saved by the Bell. Season three, episode twenty-six. I Mystery think Jessica, weekend. I know why it's so serious. There's been a murder. The butler did it. Dina, he's served. <laughs> Care to take another stab at it? There's been a murder. So Lisa Turtle. She wins a radio contest for a murder mystery weekend and lots of things I, I already want to talk about, but we'll start with that. Lisa wins a radio contest and we'll just do the plot really high level here for you guys. So you know what's coming. Lisa wins a, a, a murder mystery weekend. She brings all her fucking friends so i guess she won five passes in addition to herself for this murder mystery weekend and we open up everybody's mingling and then the butler dies oh my god and um all of the people who work here are being aggressively horny towards these 16 year olds who are in their care for the weekend so all of those things start to happen. They seem to be very confused about when this is a performance and when there is actual risk of death. And the butler then dies after that. And after the butler dies, they bring in an inspector and he too dies. But wait, Zach, when they turn the lights back on after the inspector dies, a patron's ne necklace is missing. Zachary, that's not part. That's not part of the script. There is a thief afoot. And this is havoc that we will not have. This is mayhem that we will not have at Murder Mystery Weekend Mansion. And so the proprietor of the mansion says, Tut, we cannot have this. We shall call the police. Zachary and Lisa, come and get your vouchers. Why he wants Zachary to get a voucher? I don't know. He didn't win. He's, he's just, the cornfield boy. He's the cornfield boy. And so Zachary and Lisa come get your vouchers. Zachary goes to retrieve the vouchers. The proprietor's office is all a mess. Somebody's after that prize money. Clearly, this is not part of the script. We must wait till the authorities come. Blackout. The proprietor disappears. Zach is framed. He has money in his hands. It's the prize money. You've stolen the prize money, Zachary. You are a murderer, Zach Morris. Oh, no. Oh. Murderer. <laughs> you are me. a murderer. You are a murderer, Zach I'm Morris. So <laughs> <laughs> and 
Zack has been framed. Oh my god, he's a murderer. Everyone thinks that he's a murderer. His friends do him no favors and also give nothing but additional reasons why he is a sociopath. Because he is a sociopath. So everyone thinks that Zack is committed to murders. There's some twists, there's some turns, all in about seven minutes of time. And we turn around. Zack figures it out, because of course Zack figures it out. He he discovers that this has all been a part of the plot all along. The proprietor is alive and he's in drag. The butler is alive and he's playing a different character now. And oh my god, Lisa was behind it all along. She colluded with the proprietor to frame Zack. And at the end of the day, he figured it all out because of course he did. And they all just go on about their merry way. And Zach is $500 the richer. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, this fucking episode. Interesting episode. A lot to unpack. Let's roll up <laughs> our sleeves and do some detective work, Jessica. Let's do some detective work. Uh, I mean, so right off the bat, Lisa's she's winning this contest off the radio. She really wanted it because she broke a nail dialing to get it. And Zachary, have you ever won anything from a radio contest? No, the closest I got is they once picked up the phone when I called in the song. And I was very excited. Ooh, what did you request? We were prank calling, so I, I requested Beethoven's Fifth. Did they play it? No, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> what a wiener prank call. I was like 11. <laughs> what are you fucking child Frasier? It was just... Me and my dorky friends at 11, just like sitting around my friend's bedroom, and we were just calling the radio station again and again. We did the, oh, I thought this was a pizza place, was another bit we did. <laughs> and then the DJ said at one point, oh, we're getting a lot of calls today, and we lost our goddamn minds. <laughs> That's us. We're the lots of calls. We're the lots of calls. So folks, if you were ever wondering what childhood Niles and Frasier were up to that got them dropped off and abandoned at the Museum of Modern <laughs> Art, it's definitely that. That's the bullshit that they were up to. But, you know, Zach, I actually did win something from a radio contest once. Oh, tell me. I did. So I was, let's call it like nine. And... I had gotten for Christmas the year previously a white boombox. I remember it like it was yesterday. This white boombox. She was gorgeous. I wish I still had her. You know, Lake Wobegon right now. Tell me about your, <laughs> your white boombox. I got this beautiful white boombox. And it was very late 90s in its shape. It, it was compact. I mean, it's, it's appropriate for a child. I got it for Christmas along with uh, Destiny's Child writing on the wall. And Britney Spears, Baby One More Time. That was, those were the albums that it came with. And every night I would listen to the B96 lineup and they had a call-in portion of it where it was like the top 10 songs at 7 p.m. And so they played the top 10 hits of the day. And whoever was like the, the 10th caller and could list the top 10 songs in order with their artist got a prize and I tried for every day for weeks on end to be the 10th caller and I never was but then finally it was a December early December evening 
I'm at home, I have my notebook and I've written down, you know, remix, you know, remix to ignitions on the list. And we got some Usher on the list and I've got it all written down. Maybe Kelly Rowland's single was popping off at that time. And I have the list I call in. This is my big moment. They pick up. It's me. I'm caller number 10. I'm caller number 10. And they ask me to read off the list. And as my voice is shaking with stage fright and excitement, I read off the list hurriedly. And he says, you did it. You win. You're a grand prize winner. And I don't know if I've ever felt such joy. I'm still chasing that high. I couldn't imagine. What did he win? A Christmas tree. So Christmas, walk in to your parents and be like, Christmas tree's on me this year, guys. Let me tell you the goop. You already have Christmas tree? We have, we've had the same plastic Christmas tree since I've been like a child. And of course I was excited about this Christmas tree. I wanted to go pick up my prize. It's a major award. It's a prize. I, surely I deserve to get it. We never went and got it. And my mom eventually sat me down and said, we're not going to go get that Christmas tree. And was instead, it like super far away or something? <laughs> no, she just didn't want to deal with a live tree. So she said, we're not oh. going to go get the Christmas tree. But I'll get you McDonald's for dinner tonight. And I said, bitch, you got a deal. <laughs> so I easily forgotten sold. about. So easily forgotten. It was like, I could eat my mom's chicken with cream of chicken gravy. Or I could go ahead and get me two McDonald's hamburgers, a fry and a chicken nugget and a small milkshake because she felt bad. Maybe that, that's not even a hard equation for me. Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap it right because it's not like if it's a free tree, it's not that big of a deal to have the live Christmas tree. I mean, you gotta go pick it up. You have to have a car capable of towing it. How big was the tree? You gotta tow it. I don't look. I don't know. I don't know any of the details. All I know is she said, we're not doing We're not this. doing it. <laughs> we're not doing this. But look, out of the deal, I got a McDonald's for dinner that night. So, it, you know, it all worked out well for me. But I am still chasing that that pure joy of being that the 10th caller. Yeah. That, that, that really did. It felt like a little episode of Millennial Lake Will Be Gone. Just like <laughs> my, my pearl white boom box. She was beautiful. And we got the Christmas tree. <laughs> but I, we didn't get the Christmas tree. <laughs> and I got McDonald's. It really is. <laughs> yeah. So that that is my version of winning a radio contest. But Lisa wins it. And here's the thing I fucking love about this messy ass episode of Saved by the Bell. There is so little like exposition to orient you to like what the fuck is happening in the first three minutes. It really it's... does make it feel as though incredibly well-staffed destination murder mystery weekends are like, they were happening all over the place in the 90s. It was like Applebee's. It was just everywhere on the interstate. Yeah, there's just no <laughs> setup at all before you are dropped in the middle of an immersive murder mystery situation. Nothing yeah. at all. It feels like there was like four minutes of episode up front that were just cut about them like deciding to go to do this. They don't yeah. tell you any of that. You were ding dong. You were walking in the door. Welcome. Where's it was uncharacteristically guns? plot dense for Saved by the Bell as well. It was so plot dense. <laughs> it's so fucking plot 
So yeah, so they she won a radio contest. They're there. They're all kind of just hanging out. And I would say that first scene where they're kind of in that foyer with all of the murder mystery actors and the other guests is so horny. Why is it so horny? This is a bunch of adults running this murder mystery company. And immediately the male proprietor and the pianist are just like, basically, you know what, Jesse? I definitely want to fuck you. Yeah, well, we okay. We can't skate past this incredible line that happens like in the first minute of this show that is seared so in excited. my brain forever. And it's Zach is excited about this murder mystery weekend that his friend won, and so he rubs his hand together and he says, "Okay, come on, where's the corpse? Where's the body?" And then this French maid in like a very kinky, very short skirt. A French made outfit walks in. So horny. Yeah, and Slater says she just walked in. So let's get on with it. So where's the corpse? Where's the body? She just walked in. Hello. <laughs> She's pretty cute for a dead chick. Your friend said, "Where's the corpse? Where's the body, sir?" Hey, she's got the body. Let's make her a corpse. It's just... That's what these young demon Ted Bundys are thinking. Yep, it's just so just under the surface at all times, barely hidden. It's just like the weird serial killer energy of just like, where's totally. the corpse? Where's the body? Hot woman comes in. There she is. <laughs> it is, yeah. There's definitely that constant just unsettled malevolent spirit that haunts saved by the bell <laughs> it's, and we <laughs> yeah no it's just because we talk we talk a lot about shows made for you know younger audiences that are incredibly horny and i posit that there are two schools to this there mm -hmm. is the boy meets world school where they're horny but in a directed way that is like controlled, contained, and like targeted to a group of teenagers. Saved by the Bell is horny in every direction. It yeah. is every like molecule in the air between any two characters on the screen can be charged with horniness at any point in time. Yeah, it's just, it's Sims, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, at any point, oh no, they're, they're flirting. I don't know. Even Sims has rules that you can't, like, hit on a teenager. This is true. It's just a heavily modded kinky Sims. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they even got that French maid <laughs> running around. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> fucking kinky. On that note, first cold sack of the episode, on just the random horniness just to be relevant and reach out to our youths. Uh, I recently played Baldur Gate, Baldur's Gate 3, and that was my main takeaway. It's just, how is everybody in this universe fucking everybody else in this universe? <laughs> <laughs> there was this point, and spoilers for Baldur's Gate 3, just skip two minutes, you'll be fine, where I, I went on this, <laughs> this side quest. And so there's this octopus Cthulhu monster that's like following you, and, and he's your ally. And so you go down to this dungeon to resurrect an ancient dragon. 
<laughs> and the dragon cut the skeleton comes alive and then he wakes up and then it's revealed that the octopus monster and the dead dragon know each other from a past and the octopus monster says yes we were friends once and then the dragon skeleton says and so much more <laughs> <laughs> Like, the octopus monster and the dragon skeleton are fucking? I don't want to live in a world where they're not. Yeah, it's just everyone is down to fuck in Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> that is my Steam review right there. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Five stars. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to Save by the Bell. Back to Save by the Bell. <laughs> And so much more. <laughs> and so much more. All right. I love it. But Zach, I, I really feel like we need to talk a little bit about the logistics of this murder mystery game. Absolutely. They must be hemorrhaging money. Okay. so There's no way that this murder mystery it made it. This had to have been their first go at it. Yeah, this must like, be like opening weekend or something. And that's why they were advertising. On the radio? Yeah, because first of all, as we mentioned, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear tickets being given away as a contest, it is usually for you and one other guest. Lisa is rolling up their party of six. Yeah. They must have just gotten the whole mansion. <laughs> <laughs> but there are other guests. I thought those were actors, too. It wasn't clear. But I thought... No, I think the old lady... And yeah, the old husband. couple, I think, are actors. Otherwise, they stole a guest's necklace. <laughs> no, I think they did steal a guest's necklace. Yeah, we'll get into that about their weird boundaries. Um, weird, very weird boundaries. Yeah. Another so thing to add onto the list of the logistics of this murder mystery company. But first and foremost, we're rolling up six free tickets. Six free tickets. Wild. Beautiful historic mansion is their real estate they got in like, southern california yeah 10 paid actors in southern california again this is not like in the midwest where you just go this was the only option for an acting gig so probably more expensive than anywhere else in the country um, but they still managed to get like community theater level actors oh yeah absolutely it i did want to talk about that actually of do you think there are two possible things that could be going on with our actors in this production. And I mean the actors who Saved by the Bell is a television show hired. One, this is their quality of acting and they're attempting to deliver like a sitcom character. Two, they are intentionally acting at the level of a community theater that you would actually get at one of these murder mysteries. And I'm, the line is thin the it's, line is so thin yeah for the actors that are like actors in the show they really did capture the essence of what this would be like this kind of attraction so much so that you truly wonder is this just them acting or is the is this them acting badly <laughs> intentionally props to the casting director if that's the truth <laughs> because the inspector in particular, was just so fundamentally the detective in a community theater production of Linda There Were Nine. 
or any other Ag- Agatha Christie property of just, he's storming in there. He's really hamming it up. He's doing his like dramatic flipping of the trench coat. He's doing like a little panache of <laughs> a little spring in his step. There's like definitely that. like a forefinger and a thumb on the chin mm, yeah, going on, yeah. you know, and it's a little stroke happening. Tell me, who was the last person with the piano player? Oh, well, I was until the maid spilled her drink on me. The maid! Mm, Too obvious. No, it wasn't the maid. The real murderer is... This man is, I'm going to say, a salesman at Couches R Us by day, but he (laughs) is Detective Haversham by night. (laughs) he lives for it he is selling every single inch of that stage like he owns it and you know if i'm casting for this it seems the logical choice of just i'm whole assing it in this scenario and i'm just going to local community theaters to find my perfect detective absolutely yeah you you see somebody that's like really embodying the role fuck it no i want i want them to give that sort of this is my brief moment in the sun yeah (laughs) i want this to be their only imdb credit i want this i this is what the casting director said i i want i i want the essence of we asked the principal to do a walk-on role (laughs) (laughs) in our uh, high school production But a principal who cares. Yeah, it's really milking it. No, not the principal. It would be like the algebra teacher who's, everything's coming up, Jonathan. (laughs) Has his moment. Uh, That's what these people were giving. And I loved it. I loved it for them. Absolute bingo. Absolute bingo. I love that. Yes. But it, it it does not deny the fact that we are hemorrhaging money left and right. Absolutely. On this. And... If you think about it, right, like the big twist here is that there is a game within a game or a mystery within a mystery. So logically, what does this mean for this murder mystery company? It means that everyone in the cast had to meet at least one time with Lisa before everyone else came out there, lay out the groundwork for every single beat that is going to happen, make sure these fucking teenagers acted predictably and hit their mark every single time Mm -hmm. in order for their plan to actually work in the end. Yeah. Lisa had to have pre-planned, right? There's no other way around it. They would have had to do, you know, like magicians would call it asking her to be the stooge. But yeah, totally. They, I did some Googling because I was curious what is the closest like real life equivalent that one could take cash money to and, and have a murder mystery weekend. And I found one and it was like $600 per pop, but I'm assuming it's a much larger staff to audience ratio. <laughs> like, I don't think it's literally just like two paying customers and a gang of teenagers. like financing all of that because this would be like eight thousand a pop 
(laughs) It has to be. It has to be because if you think about all of that time that is going into the planning, right? Think about after they decide that, oh my God, this is real and we're all being hunted. They step into the foyer and in the foyer, there is an axe like designated to fall at a certain exact time where Lisa has to jump in front of it at the exact moment. That is a prop and a coordination that is costing money. There's somebody at that point, there's somebody in a control room watching this whole thing go down. So they are pressing like the demagnetize button so that it falls. Yeah, they have secret passages. They got somebody, yeah, again, in the control booth doing like the lights and the lightning and stuff. It's an expensive production, folks. I just, here's what I think is, I think that this is clearly like a a front for laundering drug money. This is one of those non-unprofitable businesses where, you know, we're just here to have something about this is how we made our money. And I think. Normally, it's just like a storefront that has five rubber ducks, and it's just this is the rubber duck store. Uh-huh. And I, this is, yeah. Do you think the actors are in on it, or the actors are here because of passion? I don't think they looped in the actors. I hope that th- that's a drug gang. I hope all of them are drug. I hope. <laughs> Here's what I hope. <laughs> all those people we see, they are a street gang, and they got together and are like, Guys, you know, we were just doing this like drug dealing, you know, to like finance, like, like living in LA while we try to get cast. But what if we used the drug money to make our own production? And then they're like, they put their hands in a pile. Let's start a murder mystery company. And so they're laundering money for their drug business. But really, the drug, the money laundering scheme is their passion. You know, they say the best way to get cast is to write the script. So they were doing it. They were making their own dream come true. Yeah, like Tina, she's like, I can, I need to show people that I can do a French accent. I can do a French accent. We're going to write you a French role, Tina. (laughs) Yeah, I, I really do love the idea of let's reboot Breaking Bad. Let's make it a sitcom. And the entire premise is that Walter White is trying to make his middle-aged acting dreams come real. Yeah. (laughs) By starting a murder mystery mansion (laughs) that makes no financial sense, but it doesn't have to because he's selling meth. (laughs) (laughs) I also think that if I were to ever become a politician, I think my platform would be that to try to make this kind of thing happen as often as possible. Where like <laughs> I, I would my platform would be I would instruct the IRS to not look into whimsical businesses. <laughs> like if you have a fun whimsical business, the IRS is not gonna check your shit. I promise. Yeah. A is told to lay off. It's like the tax equivalent of a personality hire. Yeah, it's this is how we're going to revitalize downtowns in small town America is we're going to be like, hey, we will not investigate whimsical businesses. Yeah. So if you start your murder mystery mansion, if you start your dinner theater, dinner musical theater. Yeah, kind of cafe, your wigs for dogs shop. Wigs for dogs. 
we will not investigate. That's my policy as president. <laughs> we will not investigate. If you're dealing coke out of the back, that's your decision. But you have to hire a shit ton of locals. You have to be way overstaffed. Way overstaffed. <laughs> there are six people on the floor at Wigs for Dogs yeah. right now. It's just, it's the whimsical deal. <laughs> Let's make America situational, folks. <laughs> I agree completely. I agree 100%. What the other thing that struck me is so interesting about this particular this particular murder mystery and this was this is no fault of the production. But the moments that the kids believe or feel this to be a performance versus a real threat to their corporal being is all over the place. Yeah. So, first of all, <laughs> we can so agree bizarre. that this is a huge liability issue, right? To, Absolute like, liability. So they they are crossing boundaries with their guests. We've already talked about how they it is adults being fully flirtatious, a hundred percent with children. Like the French maid is like preening on Zach, like she is rubbing up on him. This is an adult woman and a child. The pianist is hitting on jesse the maid drops a drink in her lap all of this seems first of all like boundary crossings this is just unprofessional behavior but then at there are a lot of opportunities for the guests to really do a big old slip and fall situation here yeah, oh yeah yeah so what <laughs> One of our clues is it's going to be a slippery floor. <laughs> and it's going to be right next to that suit of armor with the axe. <laughs> <laughs> that we've rigged to fall at any moment. Yep. Uh, and they're also just very like yelling fire in a crowded theater and being like, this is no longer a murder mystery. This is real life. Someone's dead. We need to call the police. <laughs> Sir, that's gonna that's gonna be troublesome. <laughs> I do not suggest. I hope this is your opening weekend so you can workshop it, because <laughs> that's not gonna fly. Absolutely not. Because then they're just still all in the mansion after they were told to disperse. They were also detained. This there, is so unlawfully. Agatha Christie, though, the, of just people being like really just sla messy bitches that are living for the drama. And like a murder has happened and they're like, let's see how this plays out. <laughs> I was going to hang out in the living room. <laughs> you mind if I stay here? And just Anybody stay? got a highball? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm leaving this fucking house. I want to know who did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no you're killing me <laughs> it's just a bunch of chismosas i agree completely yeah <laughs> just like in agatha christie times when there wasn't as many interstates and like large highways with like car pile-ups this was the rubbernecking of the day it's just you really Absolutely. You, you stayed Absolutely. at the mansion you like pretended yes. you were cleaning something <laughs> until 100%. the mystery got solved a hundred percent such a mess but yeah the inconsistencies of when these children believe they're in danger versus not all over the board because literally in one scene the maid is hitting on zach and slater goes it's all acting this is all part of the show she's not really into him cut to the very next scene where they are all shaking in their boots about drinking the water at dinner because they believe it is literally poison yeah, they, 
I, I don't. They have a loose grasp of reality, as they should, because <laughs> Zach, it's all over they the live in a hell where Zach Morris can manipulate time and space in the universe. Canonically, this man, he has time-freezing powers where he can manipulate things while it's and Do you think, and, and maybe this is the Twilight Zone episode, or I'm remembering it from another sort of similar scenario. Do you think when the time is frozen that they all feel it? Do you believe that they're mentally still cognizant? I absolutely do. Their bodies are frozen. And I, their bodies are frozen, but their minds are not, right? So it's very, oh, I was thinking of WandaVision, right? Like in WandaVision, they're all like, their bodies are playing the, the part, but their minds are all still intact and alive as they are being manipulated. They're puppets. Do you believe this is what is happening? Exactly. This is exactly what I think is happening. If the true Safe by the Bell reboot of what the, would they do with Zach Morris instead of making him governor <laughs> would be to just have him continue to be Zach Morris, the high school senior, uh, but he's just a 45 year old man still doing it, and everybody is forced to play along. <laughs> They're just doing all the plots. Yeah. All the plots. It's Murder Mystery Weekend. Once every six years. Yep. It just they're crying as they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, if you think that the first run of the I'm So Excited episode was off, then you should have seen the 13. Yeah. Just wait 13. until Jesse was 35 years old. <laughs> and just those tears were real. Those tears were real. <laughs> <laughs> she was not excited. <laughs> Yeah, so they live in, yeah, they just live in this constant state of, of fear, I suppose. Yeah, the grasp so I think of that's reality why they don't have all a over grasp the of reality, yeah. Yeah, the grasp, and then this episode is such good evidence of this. They, their grasp of reality is, it's it's all over the place. It they They come in and out of their characters. Screech is coming in as, as like a full inspector at, at some point i just feel like the grasp of reality is yeah the veil is thin yeah the veil is thin i also think that isn't screech supposed to be smart no i really don't he does hang out with the nerds does. he is a friend of the nerd but i don't think he is considered smart like the nerds hence he doesn't so he's, have he's a geek permanent i think he's it's a dotology yeah, he doesn't have permanent residency with the pocket protector nerds. He thinks those guys are nerds. Yeah, he, he, because he was completely disassociated from anything that was going on. He would just like, do his thing. He was like a senior citizen, just like doing yeah. word association. <laughs> Which I wanted to talk about Screech a little bit in this regard, because I think he has a fascinating role within the Saved by the Bell universe. And it's a role that only, I believe, exists in sitcom world. And Screech, I think, is perhaps the clearest, crispest example of this, which is, hey, you guys, you know how we all in our friend group have that one friend that we fucking hate and we treat like dog shit and we make fun of to his face? but he's still our little lap dog. Yeah, we talked about this with uh, iCarly and uh, what was... Gibby? Gibby, yeah. I was going to say Chumley, but that's Pawn Stars. <laughs> that was Pawn Stars. <laughs> oh my God, has anybody ever told you you look just like Chumley? Oh, fuck. Okay, hey, audience. Let me tell you <laughs> Let me tell you about the Pawn Stars ghosts. 
please keep writing me this. This is what this is a top five of my favorite Zachary stories. Okay. Buckle up. So imagine it is it, it's Christmas. It is the first Christmas when like COVID restrictions were on thaw. No, this was before COVID. So this was Christmas. I'm in the mall. I'm shopping. I am like having my Christmas shoes moment, like just not in the holiday mood. And this woman like comes out of the crowd of this very busy mall and just like parts and comes to me directly like a beeline. And then she just kind of gets like uncomfortably close to me so that I can hear her soft voice over the din of the crowd. And she says, has anyone ever told has anyone ever told you look like Chumley from Pawn Stars? <laughs> Who says that to someone? <laughs> Who says that to someone? And so I'm like, no. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yes, I am. Thank, thank you. <laughs> and then I just disengage and I, I leave. And then, so I'm going about my Christmas time. <laughs> Christmas time. I decide, hey, I'm going to take Carter, my nephew, to the aquarium. And so we're looking at the lizards in the wizard, lizard enclosure. And again, it's very crowded because it's like a holiday weekend and families in town. And out of the crowd, again, just like the same woman <laughs> comes out and with no sense of like irony or like recollection that she has done this before. <laughs> she says, has anyone ever told you look like Chumbly from Bond Stars? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you yesterday. <laughs> At the mall, you told me. <laughs> and then it's her eyes were completely blank. It's like she didn't register that I said anything. It's just completely did not process the words. And then just, okay, thank you. <laughs> and then I left. <laughs> so, it's the yesterday for me. Yeah. <laughs> you did yesterday. <laughs> I don't know what that lady's story is. I think I'm just haunted by a ghost that really wanted to tell me. You look like Chumley from Pawn Stars. And here's the thing. You don't, first of all. Like, not even a little bit. Like, you had to have manifested her somehow. Hey, yeah, it was just like a creation of my own mind and insecurities. Just like I summoned this middle-aged woman. She looked like Stalker Channing a little bit. Just like... That's what I should have said back to her is, you look like Stalker Channing. But mine would have been nice. That's a nice thing to say. It, like, <laughs> and to add a layer to this story, I'm aware of this story because you and I were in Washington, D.C. once. And it just happened because we went in January, I believe. <laughs> yeah. And I, I got too hot. I, I had a little bit too much pot. I hadn't smoked in a while. And I was way too stoned. And so I demanded to be taken back to the Airbnb. And Zach was there. And to be my anchor, you told me the Chumley story in the car home. And I clung to it like my rock in the storm, that story. It kept me 
in the present. Yep. It was like, if I can remember the facts of the Pawn Stars story, my mind's not going to be permanently deleted. Yeah, you almost floated off into the astral plane, but... I clung to it. I held that story close to me in the car ride home. And think of it often now, to this day, it's burned in my brain because of that. (laughs) The you did yesterday (laughs) (laughs) will just be with me forever. I don't know how we got to that cul-de-sac, but... And that is the tale of the Chumley ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about some shit. Screech? Yeah, Screech. Yeah, so Screech is the... What's the iCarly kid? Gibby. Yeah, so Screech is the Gibby. It's just... But like the Ur Gibby. Um, Yes. Where (laughs) it's just the friend that you shit on who is like... You know, he's just... He's there to be the punching bag, and then they'll soften it occasionally by being like, "You mean so much to us." <laughs> like in the the hell that Zach has constructed, it's clear that Screech is his pet. Yeah, Screech's status on the show is level of Zach's pet because Zach is just sort of accepted in the show as the perfect man, like the total. Oh, package. for sure. Except he, for the, yes. his moral failings, but he's learning. And I think the show is fine with his moral failings. Yeah, because he it's that lovable brat that you get in youth media. The show is completely fine with his moral failings. Fucking auto from rocket power. (laughs) And it's just Screech is an interesting character on the whole because they do a lot of interesting things with him in terms of his status in the group. Yes, of course. But also with Screech's gender and I think like he's considered lower status pretty consistently in the show and I'm not here to say I'm not here to do like a gender analysis of Screech per se but I do think one interesting thing happens which a like regular alter ego of Screech is that they'll put him in drag Mm. and they consistently do things with Screech to show that he is he is feminine and he is a sissy. He will regularly jump into Slater's arms because he's scared. Yeah. Or he'll hide behind him. Or he'll take up feminine gestures as sort of part of his character. And so I do think that's kind of important to note here. Because they're drawing a big line between our masculine men and our feminine men. And we are by default giving the feminine men in the show a lower status yeah but so much more than that of just are you familiar with oh what's his name what's his name what's his name he's like the weirdly talented conservative political columnist let me weirdly talented how he makes amazing comics that like you can spend like half an hour looking at because it's so like Mm. detailed and interesting ben garrison yeah I'll refresh your You've probably seen some of this work. Let me... I'll do a little goog. Yeah. Ben Garrison, if you're not familiar, he is a political conservative. So he is a conservative cartoonist. But that's, he's far right conservative. Doesn't even begin to cover it. Uh, gotcha. I see what we're going for here. Yeah. yeah. And he has, it has been noted often, a weird kind of like psychosexual thing going on with a male body. Like his like weird like secondhand dysphoria for Trump 
like body dysphoria of like he constantly will draw Trump as this chiseled, greased, mm-hmm. cum gutter Donis and just weirdly <laughs> detailed, weirdly lovely crafted buttocks. Did you guys know that you were gonna hear Trump cum gutters today? <laughs> Trump gut cum gutters and the Chumley ghost. This is a hell of an episode, <laughs> folks. <laughs> it's fixing to be a weirdin. So yeah, so there is often like this, like weirdly sexually lovingly crafted Trump depiction and then like uh, usually like liberals sort of have the screech physique and it's just this i don't know it just like shows uh, it's just that that weird thing with patriarchy and particularly like homosocial like culture building of just like how men maintain masculinity with each other as kind of having this weird sexual element because like they often revere the male form and put it on its pedestal far above what women do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we're not that interested. Yeah, like straight women, you know, they have sexual urges, and I, you know, I'm sure they see a hot body and they're sexually, you know, into it. If I love your, <laughs> I would. I love you just casting yourself into the mind of a straight woman. Yeah, what could that if, be like? if I were to, to to fancy, I assume that the <laughs> loins occasionally get stirred. and but then there is but it doesn't even begin to touch like this uh ben garrison worship of the strong greased toned male form it's like those 80s fantasy covers dime store fantasy covers of just so much more sexual than anything that they were selling to teenage girls (laughs) and you see this like a tinge of this relationship with Saved by the Bell, because Saved by the Bell is very much like a male fantasy. Um, oh, yes. Like he is the guy that has it all. He is, everyone worships him. His math teacher wants to fuck him. It's just, he is, he has equal power to the principal. It is a male fantasy for a high school boy. And yes. it's so worshipful of him and Slaver, uh, Slater and their bodies. And also having this disgust for the weaker screech body of just like screech exists to build Zach and Slater up just by the juxtaposition. And it's just so interesting and sexual in this episode if we haven't mentioned it yet uh zach calls uh screech a twink he calls him a twink fully calls him a twink i'm innocent i tell you i didn't do it i'm innocent all right i confess i did it do anything you twink look sir we were all in the dining room it's just an interesting dynamic is all i'll say yeah I, I agree. It is an interesting dynamic, this disdain for the the screech body, and not only this disdain for it, the idea that it's not even a man's body. Because mm-hmm. they consistently, like I said, feminize screech. They put him in drag. Mm-hmm. Like it is it's a very consistent thing that they do. So I, I just I, I wanted to call that out with Screech. We haven't had the occasion to deep dive into Saved by the Bell. And I thought that this was yeah. it's just an interesting thing that happens here. And then you get these brief flashes where the the gang believes Zach to be a serial murderer. Yeah. Hold on. And I do want to so, say I just thought that this is a good because I might have gotten a little abstract there. So if the point I'm making is basically the Gaston song is uh, in Beauty of the Beast, like LeFou 
fetishizing the male ideal in Stan and it kind of having this weird sexual tinge to it. Yeah, so please. 100%. 100%. Yeah, and you see like when they fully believe Zack to be a serial killer, Screech having a brief momentary increase in status where he is a lie. He's he's allied with Slater against Zack in this brief moment. Yeah. And Slater's often used this way with Screech. Screech uses him as like a gun for hire against Zack. So it's just, I I don't have much more to say about it other than that. Yeah, nobody is happy with Zack's leadership in this friend group. Slater sort of resents it a lot. Screech is just ritualistically abused at all points. (laughs) The girls have this kind of like iffy relationship with him. Like he's hot, but he's also, you know, he sold my nudes on the internet. That kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, but there's nothing they can do about it. Nothing they can, if they object, they will the go to the mind is field. free. Yeah. The mind is free, but the body is not. Yeah. <laughs> it's there now. <laughs> uh, Jesse OD'd which, on those caffeine pills. Which I do think, it, it ultimately, I think that builds up to my uh, ultimate theory of, of what's going on in this particular episode. I do think that we have well established that we believe Zach Morris to be some sort of god or fallen god, a demonic entity. And I think he has a significant amount of power, but not total control over his subjects. I believe that Saved by the Bell as a sitcom is an exercise that this demon is conducting with full awareness that it is a television show. Yeah. It's just, he's running hell and he gets to, he can control their bodies, but it kills him that he can't control their minds. Like exactly. He can make them have lunch with them every day, but he can't make them like him. Exactly. They they have some degree the of girls- free thought, but not free will, which is why Zach operates primarily through manipulation. Yeah. Zach is an incredibly manipulative person, but it's not like a complex manipulation. He's not particularly smart about it, right? Which I think furthers the idea that they, the free will is quite limited in the Saved by the Bell universe. He's able to deploy all of these people to kind of do his bidding at will, right? It, he, he, he can play them off of each other. There's an episode where there's a girl who wants to be on the wrestling team. Zach first mocks her, but then finds her to be beautiful. And so he's able to leverage Jesse, enrage her to manipulate her to go protest that she be allowed on the wrestling team so that like she's thinks he's some hero and will go on a date with him. Zach operates through manipulation. And he understands himself to be the center of the universe, which is why I think he's completely unfazed when this event that Lisa won centers on him. It is her night, 
her event. She won it. She's the one who orchestrated all of the fun. And yet it is Zach who, when all is said and done, is being offered to come into the office for a free voucher along with Lisa. Yeah. Doesn't strike him as odd in any way. It's completely normal. Of course I would. I am the center of the universe. Yeah. And it's also interesting when the proprietor introduces himself. He's like, I'm Remingsworth the third. Oh, I, yeah. Zach introduces himself as I am Zach the only. I am your host, Stephen Jameson the third. And I am your guest, Zach Morris, the only. Is his demon name? It is like. <laughs> yeah, wish the to demon has him, spoke his name. The Zach only. the only. Do not say it three times. <laughs> <laughs> it, it also, that line drove me crazy instantly. It's within the first like, 10 seconds of the show. It's, it's so fucking obnoxious. If you are looking at it through the lens of actual social conduct. <laughs> Because it's everybody is circled around the performer and he is doing his little intro spiel. And so he says, hello, this is my character. And then Zach, a member of the audience, is doing just the worst fucking thing you can do in a situation like this is to believe that it's a one-on-one conversation between you and the performer. And so he's, I'm Zach the only. (laughs) Again. He believes that there is absolutely nothing wrong with this universe centering on him. Why shouldn't he have a one-on-one conversation with the the performer? It is his universe. It is, I mean, it literally stage. is. It's just a fact of life. So. They're on his stage. And I, 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 I thoroughly believe all of this about Saved by the Bell. But I do think that this episode is interesting. Because I do think that this episode is ultimately a battle of Zach's own conscience, his own guilt, battling his narcissism. And I think that's what's on play or on stage in this particular episode. Why do I think that? Ultimately, the first half of this episode, we are made to believe that Zach is the killer, right? And... I think this could represent, if Zach is the creator of this universe, Zach feeling guilt over the many terrible deeds that he has done to his friends. What I have to back this theory up is when his friends are vouching for him, they have nothing good to say about Zach. Oh, he's a nice guy, except for he stole the principal's car. He's a nice guy, except for he tied me to the roller coaster tracks. Yeah. Right? So they're listing all of Zach's sins as a way to say, and and how it is literally framed in the episode, he is guilty. He is guilty of committing these sins. Yeah, he may not have done this crime, but he is guilty. But he has done crimes, but he is guilty. In like a fundamental sense. Exactly. So we're seeing that in the universe. Hold on, I got to kill a spider. Okay, it's done. So he is guilty in this sense. But then when we talk about how that ultimately faces off with his narcissism, two things, two two big things at play here. One, we as the audience know all along that Zach is innocent based on the structure of the show. The structure of the show that the deity of Zach is presenting to us shows us that he's not guilty. He's being unfairly persecuted. 
an absolute favorite of the narcissistic variety. And three, he outsmarts all of his friends to prove his superiority over them, to prove his eternal power as the Lord of the Flame. And he is so much smarter than Lisa. He is so much smarter than everyone else around him. He saw through the sham. He saw through the worst drag I've seen on television in a very long time. Only the smartest Zachary Morris could ever do such a thing. And so I think it is just this depiction of Zach's small, tiny little flicker of flame of conscious of his conscious his understanding that his friends hate him his understanding that his friends think he is not a good person but the show the display of his power and his believed superiority over them in the end their mystery episode the only true threat to a god is their own personal neuroses and that is what is on display here. <laughs> That's what's on display here. Exactly. Will Zach let this modicum of grief is, fall his empire? This is an episode where Zach Morris puts himself on trial and uh, finds himself acquitted of all charges. Surprisingly. Very, yeah. Very innocent. <laughs> Not guilty. And that is, that's my <laughs> ultimate, my ultimate theory of this episode. What do you think? I, I buy it. I, I think that is precisely like death of the author and all that. But I think that's probably, there's just too many indications that this is what they believe. Like the writers <laughs> when they sat down. <laughs> this is absolutely what the writers have been building to. This episode is a culmination of what is, is clearly from the jump in Saved by the Bell, the intent to build a narrative that Zach Morris is a demonic entity. Saved by the Bell takes place on a astral plane where Zach is in control and is building a sitcom as a form of entertainment for himself using meat puppets. Zach, I'm curious if you have any other lingering thoughts about this episode of Saved by the Bell. If not, I got a button question, but I'm okay. curious. Let's talk about the drag. It's... First of all, so... The this is what they expect you to believe. Like what canonically the employees and like designers of this experience wanted you to believe. They wanted you to believe, like the guests of this hotel, that this was real. Like, it, oh, we're off script now. This is a real threat to your personal safety. We need to call the police. And so they call the police, and then in walks two people. <laughs> None, neither of them in uniform. We have a gentleman who kind of looks like the grandpa from Princess Bride. <laughs> Doing a Boston accent. Yeah. And he just had, he's in full grandpa cardigan and his little fedora. It doesn't look anything like a police officer at all, but he does have pinned to his cardigan a badge. Okay. Interesting choice. And then he's we a have... plain clothes officer. He's a detective. So. Yeah. Yeah. He's a plain clothes detective. And then we have this gentleman in drag who looks, it's Tootsie. It's just a full Tootsie situation. Big it was giving, pads. you know what it was giving to me? It was giving the Dean in community. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the, like dude, the, dean. the Dean was serving. The Dean was serving, but like the face shape, like he looked like the Dean. If the Dean had, was, had no cunt. 
Like, that's what this guy looked like. And it's just, uh, the thing about it here is 30 minutes ago, they were talking face to face with this person. And then all of a sudden that person mysteriously disappears in the worst blackout on a TV show I have ever seen where you can clearly see the outlines of every single body and what they're doing in that blackout. Yeah. And that person mysteriously disappears. And then 10 minutes later, a person who looks exactly like them in a wig shows up. Yeah. And the guy that died, it's just him with a mustache on. <laughs> and the only way you buy it is if it, you believe that Zach Morris doesn't pay attention to any human below his perceived social status. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could totally see all of the characters really just not looking the help in the eye and therefore not catching that guy. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But no excuse for not clocking the Tootsie. <laughs> clearly, clearly something's happening. Ma'am. Yeah. It's oh, just but like... she was, she's wearing this like very like 80s it was like outdated so 80s big old blazer yeah big blazer that came down to her mid thigh very boxy not a good drag look if you're trying to disguise a masculine frame just let's make those shoulders bigger baby and then again so it's like a lilac floral print and then again just a police badge tacked onto it very casual this department (laughs) going on here very interesting but yeah, that, that's the drag. I just, I felt obliged to give, let's give our RuPaul, let's give our RuPaul to him. Mr. Jameson, your murder mystery weekend was a sleigh, but your lilac boxy silhouette was serving rigor mortis. Sashay away. Very good. Okay, so mine is, Mr. Jameson, you thought that you were sitting on a secret, but you, my friend, are no mystery. I'm sorry, my dear. You must sashay away. Beautiful. Also, quick side note. I'm trying to start like a grassroots movement for RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't watch this show, but I would watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And if they got rid of sashay away and they replaced it with Chesley, your wig has been snatched. And everyone that's up for elimination has their wig like hooked up to a line and then the second that they say it they snatch your wig off if only you had been on production to just think of another way to further humiliate these queens yeah just like their 900 hundred dollar wig we're gonna yank it up into the sky <laughs> your wig has been snatched <laughs> that was very fun but i do have one more thing for us to end on so this is not our first teenage serial killer that we have theorized about on this show we do have one miss Blair warner from the facts of life and so my question here zachary is if blair and zach morris were put in a situation where let's say they were the final two in the hunger games (laughs) who's winning district bayside or district eastland school for girls it's an interesting question it's an important question I have a few questions about the premise first. Does Zach have his cornfield powers in this scenario? Mm, (laughs) Or is he mm, like rendered mm. briefly for a moment mortal? Like has Blair 
successfully shattered the phylactery. <laughs> he, he's vulnerable. And we don't believe that Blair has any supernatural power of her own. No, Blair is not in control of the Facts of Life universe. No, Blair is not in control of the universe. I completely agree. In this case, we'll say that Zack still has control, but only of the cast of Saved by the Bell. Oh, does he get to bring them? <laughs> They're the last two in the Hunger Games. That's it. Oh, okay. Okay. It's just that they're off. And I'm going to go Blair. And it's because I just don't think that he's never faced any kind of adversity. And so being in that moment would be very uh, alarming and frightening for him. But I think that Blair, you know, she has gone to Nordstrom's at like on Black Friday for those sales. And she has been in that grit and she has been in the mud and fought. And she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. She is not afraid to like slit the throat or pot, put the pills in herself. And I just mm-hmm. don't think that Zach in that moment would have the stomach for it. Yeah. I, I really do believe that Zach thrives off of social manipulation more than he does with literally getting his hands dirty. Zach, Zach by the very nature of the universe that he has created has other people do his dirty work most of the time. He's a puppet master. He's a puppet master. He's not interested in sort of the one-to-one, up-close-and-personal, brutal combat. And I think Blair could do it. I'm going to go with you. You want to be a a more exciting face-off that I think, like, bringing his full power, his full authority into it, is if we face sociopath versus sociopath, Zach Morris versus Sabrina Spellman. Oof. Okay. And they both have their full power. Full power. It's a wizard duel. (laughs) I think Sabrina has more powers. I think that, yeah, he is a demon. And I think that probably part of the witch curriculum is knowing how to deal with demons. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. He's going to be banished back to hell. So Zach is 0 for 2. Yeah. So listeners, tell us which um, potent (laughs) teen property do you think could be Zach Morris in a sociopath versus sociopath duel? (laughs) All right, folks, it has been a blast. I was hesitant about this episode, but I I think it was a blast. You got the Chumley ghost. You got the (laughs) high honor. You got the Baldur's Gate fuck dragon. (laughs) <laughs> you learned about my boom box the boom box yes uh, i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did again please if you want to not a cop not your mom donate to our patreon please do so if you feel inclined and be sure to email us at because it was on at gmail.com uh, with any feedback you might have and follow us on threads follow us on instagram tiktok just whatever you like and uh, thank you for listening have a great night Ta-ta. Do all those things. We love ya. See love ya. Because it was because Bye. it was on. Because it was on. Because it was on. Because it was on. Because it was on. Rate review and subscribe to. Because it was on. Whoop 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 whoop.